Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. It is 527, Tuesday, February 22nd. I'm down here in North Carolina visiting my sister. Just left Virginia. Woo, the accents are thick, but uh, I love it, man. I, I love going places and kind of picking up a little bit of that twang, you know. Um, you know, typically on vacation, people sleep in, but here's the thing. You get back to work, and now your sleep pattern has changed. So you're set up for a week of heartache, basically. Headache and heartache. I don't want to deal with that. Um, I always try to, what I have found successful is an hour. So if I typically get up at 4, I get up at 5. If I typically get up at 5, if I'm sleeping in, I get up at 6. I also apply this to the weekends as well, assuming I go to bed at about the same time. Now, if, if a Friday night comes and for some reason I'm traveling or whatever, or I'm seeing family or, or friends or something and I'm staying up till, you know, 10, 11 o'clock, well, then it's no holds bars, right? Like I just sleep until whenever. But uh, I always try to, I try, honestly, I try to stay up only one hour later. Like if 8 o'clock is my typical bedtime, which I wish, I wish 8 o'clock was my typical bedtime. Uh, but inevitably, no offense to my wife, but inevitably it ends up being like 8.45 um, just because that's how life goes. And if I stay up an hour later, I'll sleep in an extra hour. But man, if you sleep in more than an hour, to me, it just starts to throw things off. And it's it's just that, it's that wow, I feel like we keep coming back to the same thing. It's that discipline. It's doing the right thing day after day after day. That really adds up, even though it's boring. Um, surprise, surprise. So it's been a wild ride, man. I'm still clean, which is cool. Uh, you know, I had that had that slip up on Friday, but Saturday uh, did not smoke. Sunday did not smoke. Monday did not smoke. And so here I am on Tuesday feeling good. My speech is a little slurred, uh, but I believe that that's due to my fatigue. My wife, God bless her, does not appreciate what it's like the last two weeks of school before vacation, the kids are all ramped up. And it was Valentine's Day, so of course they're all cracked out on high fructose corn syrup. And not, you know, in board meeting, workshops, all this, that, and the other thing. And then you combine it with travel. So definitely, definitely still fatigued. But mentally, I, you know what's crazy? Mentally, I'm still, I, I am a little foggy due to the fatigue. But I can muddle through it. Like, I, I can get there eventually. It just takes me a little longer. And I feel like when I had the brain frog, the brain, <laughs> the brain fog from smoking dope, uh, I would just never get there. Like, it would, it would forever elude me. And I want to talk about a situation that happened yesterday. So we left her parents' house, and we got about an hour away, and we, we got a phone call. Hey, uh, your wife's wallet is sitting here on the counter. What are you going to do? Well, you know, I'm ready to go the whole week without it. It don't matter. We try not to drink too much. Drink is not good for you. And, you know, she's definitely trying not to drink too much. But it, it stresses her out. You know, it's a whole bag full of little odds and ends and knickknacks. There's some medicine in there, this, that, and the other thing. And so we say, Mom offers. She's like, hey, I'll meet you halfway. And we're like, all right, we'll turn around. Well, we end up driving a little more than halfway, which is no big deal. But what was interesting is I was relaxed that whole time. Typically, I get to the end of their driveway, and it's a long driveway. I get to the end of their driveway, and I spark up. You know, it's like, okay, we're either headed back up to the northeast or we're headed 
you know, somewhere else that's a long distance. And so I get to the end of the driveway and I spark up. Uh, I drive high a lot. I used to drive high a ton. Why? Let me put it this way. Driving high means nothing to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care about being high being high when I drive. I'm a very safe driver. If anything, I drive like a little old lady. But what that does do when I do get stressed out when I'm driving high is when I stink or when I look like I'm stoned. So let's say I have a taillight out and I have no idea that my taillight's out. None. I'm driving along and boom, whoop, lights go on. There's a cop behind me. I get pulled over. I stink. He writes me a ticket or he arrests me. And all of a sudden my life has changed forever. And that level of stress, I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy cooking my brain and my body in that in those stress hormones because that's what it is because now I'm not prepared. If I'm high and I'm in that situation, I am not able to handle what happens next and I have made that situation worse. So we turn around to go meet her mom and imagine, imagine if I had sparked up at the end of the driveway, stunk myself up, stunk the car up, and now literally 60 minutes later, I have to meet the mother again. And I'd be all bleary-eyed, I'd stink. She would pick up on that in a heartbeat. And so that whole ride from turning around, first of all, I would have been stressed driving, out-of-state plates, I'm high, got to make sure I don't get pulled over. So I would have been stressed the whole hour getting to that chunk of North Carolina and then crank that up to level 10 because now I'm turning around, passing all the cops who saw me coming the first time, and I'm about to meet my wife's mother, who's staunchly opposed to that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know. It was just interesting. It was, a, it was an observation that I made, uh, and I think those are the kind of observations I need to make more frequently. Uh, sometimes I feel like we, as addicts or as stoners, it, it's easy to fall into that trap of comparing something like a concert or a road trip or an experience with a friend or a walk in the woods, sober versus high. And you're like, man, being high like is so much cooler. Like, blah, blah, blah. It's like life should be cool on its own. But what do we tend to avoid comparing? Well, we, we tend to avoid comparing the times when being high made something worse. You don't think, because you don't want to remember it. I mean, I don't. Like, when I'm struggling with whatever it is, maybe the paranoia, I, it's so weird. I hate that they call it paranoia when you're high because it, it, I don't feel like it does it justice. I, I don't think you can just apply one word and then paint this broad stroke like that. Like, yeah, I guess when I'm driving and I'm high, I'm a little paranoid because I don't want to get pulled over. I don't want my life to be fucked. Uh, but is that paranoia, you know? Is, is that disappointment? Is that stress? Is that fear? I just feel it's a little more subtle than that. There's a little more nuance. So, but the point is when I'm, when I'm in that situation, when I'm experiencing that, that fear or that insecurity, uh, the knowledge or the guilt, <laughs> I try everything I can not to dwell on it. I try everything I can to stay in the positive mindset, to, to stay in the zone, so to speak. And then when, I'm, when it's over, when I'm done being high, I don't keep revisiting that heartache like, I don't keep, like, reliving that, rehashing that, uh, because it's uncomfortable. Why would I do that? And so, 
it's a lot easier for me mentally to get frustrated when I'm doing something outdoors and I'm sober and to be like, ah, well, man, it'd be cool if I was sparking up. Then to remember like, oh, once I've sparked up, now if I'm walking through the woods, like, and I see a deer, I'm probably hosed. Like, I'm probably not going to be able to just react on the spot, bring up my weapon and, and harvest the animal. And I had, I've had some cool experiences since I've been down here. I got to go squirrel hunting, got myself a squirrel, skinned it. Uh, well, I say I skinned it. Her father helped me skin it and gut it. You know, I have done this in the past. I certainly could do it, but the man's been doing it for 70 years. I don't know, well, not 70, but um, he's been doing it his whole life, and it was a neat trick. He's also he's also a OBGYN, so he's he's got surgeon hands. You know, he's performed all sorts of C-sections. It was cool watching him work. So we got it all cleaned up. We parboiled that little thing and then stuck it on the grill, painted it up with barbecue sauce, grilled it, brought it in, just nibbled the meat right off the bones. You know, it tastes... It, I know it's going to sound corny, but it did actually taste just like chicken. It was a white meat. And so that was great. That was, uh, shoot, that was Saturday, maybe? No, I don't know, Saturday. No, Sunday. It was Sunday. And then on Monday, uh, we went. I bought a fishing license, and we went down to the lake. And for 90 minutes, we're totally skunked. And this is where I'm going to kind of start to transition here, uh, get a little biblical, semi-biblical. We'll do the quote, and then we'll sign off. Because we get to the lake. And it's bluebird day, a little bit chilly, but I mean, compared to in the Northeast, it's nothing. And we get, put the boat on the water. He's got a beautiful brand new bass boat. We get on the water and he hands me two rods, both of which were tied with a lure that I'm not that keen on. I don't have that much experience with. They were a soft bait. And I'm looking at his and he's got a Rapala-esque, you know, type of crankbait. And he's also got a cool little spinner bait. And I'm like, man, that's exactly what I would be using right now. I'd be using that that stuff. He he loves worms. He loves fishing with soft baits. And but those are what he gave me. Uh, it, it was his son and his daughter's pole. And I'm kind of bitching to myself. I'm like, this is dumb. Like I I don't want to be using these. I, I don't think I'm going to catch anything. And we're we're fishing along. And I got you know kind of a, kind of a bad attitude about it. And, and I realized I, I I finally looked at myself and I said. Jonah, you ungrateful son of a bitch. Like, here you are on this multi, you know, whatever it is, $30,000 bass boat underneath a bluebird sky on an awesome, super comfy swivel chair with two fishing poles in your hands. You could be at home with your mother-in-law right now, or you could be up freezing your nuts off somewhere, but instead you're outdoors enjoying nature, doing what you love. I love being outside fishing and hunting. And so I finally shook myself out of that. I'm like, man, you know what? That's right. So I started having a good time again. But an hour goes by and we don't even see a fish. Like we don't even catch a fish. We don't see a fish. And you start to get a little ornery again. You're like, man, we're not catching shit. Like this is a really crummy day. And you get bent out of shape about it. And then finally I had to tell myself. And and so I'm all bent out of shape about it. We're not catching anything. We're not catching anything. And I, I have to tell myself, and then again, I feel myself getting worked up. I say, Jake, Jonah, <laughs> you got to calm down like this. You are living the dream. I took my shoes off. The sun are touching my feet. It's touching my feet. We got blue skies. The water's calm. I'm seeing a kingfisher. I saw an eastern bluebird. I saw an osprey. I saw a heron. It was just phenomenal. And so we decided to head back to the boat launch. And we're kind of fishing our way there. We go out to the middle of the lake just to try something different instead of the shoreline. 
And I'm just finally really experiencing true gratitude for, for the wonder and beauty that I get to experience. And it's one of my last casts. I whip this thing out far from the boat, and I'm, I'm tapping it along the bottom. It's this big old leech-looking uh, rubber worm thing. And all of a sudden, whoa, I'm hung up. I'm hung up on bottom. I yank my pole up. I'm trying to jerk it off bottom. Whoa, I think I'm hung up. But then again, I'm not sure. Am I, am I hung up on bottom or did I get a fish? I'm, my, my mind's back and forth. And then all of a sudden, whoo, it tugs back. I go, hey, hey, I got one. And he's like, what? And then it starts moving to the side. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we got fish on, fish on. Uh, where I've come from, if you catch a big old fish, you got to yell, fish on, fish on. Because that fish starts running and there are a bunch of other guys fishing too, so they got to get their lines out of the way. So I'm like, oh, fish on, fish on. And I go, you got to turn the boat around because the boat's going one way. And the fish is off the back of the boat. The boat is going forward. And that puts too much tension on your line. You yank the hook right out of the fish. It happens in the ocean all the time. I said, turn the boat around. You're going the wrong way. So he, he, he turns the boat around. And I'm like, man, what is this thing? Is this catfish, you know? And this muddy water. We've been fishing for bass, but and it's, it was real deep. My pole is bent right over. It tips practically touching the water. And then eventually it's coming up. It's coming up. And it comes up and it shakes its head. And you guys, it is the biggest freaking largemouth bass I have ever seen in person. I'm like, whoa! And it goes back down. He's like, whoa, what is it? I'm like, it's bass, it's bass. It comes back up again. And this time he sees it and he's like, oh, I can't even remember what he said. He's like, he's like oh, that's a big one. <laughs> he's like, I'll get the net. And so we're, I'm reeling, and then he, he's scrambling to get the net. He goes, oh, oh, and he starts screaming. He's got a leg cramp. He's like, I got a leg cramp. I got a leg cramp. So he's all froze up. He can't do anything. He's all bent over. And I got the fish on the line praying to God it won't come off. And you see him straighten up slowly, and then he takes one more step, and it's, oh, oh, my other leg, my other, my, both my legs are cramped up. And I'm like, this is a comedy of errors here. We got a Charlie Chaplin situation. So anyway, the, 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 he finally, he slowly straightened himself up. He's got both hands on the deck of the boat. The fish dives down underneath the boat. And I'm like, oh, no, it's going to get tangled up on the rudder. So I'm loosening up my drag. The tip is way down. This fish has totally buried itself. And I, he's like, just, just keep the pressure on it. Keep the pressure on it. You know, I'm loosening up the drag. I hear it, tw- you know, as it's pulling the line out a little bit. Finally, that fish gets turned around. And he manages to put the net together. I say, he's coming up. He's coming up. He's coming up. And as soon as he comes up. Dad scoops up the fish, yanks this thing in the boat, fills up the whole net. And we're just like, woo! We are screaming and pumping. And, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'll get my phone. I'll take some pictures. And this is where it kind of dissolves a little bit because I don't like this. I don't like to see fish out of the water. I've been mulling this idea that animals are actually sentient. And the concept of us, you know, a man doesn't know what it's like to be a woman, right? Can't walk in her shoes. Or a white person doesn't know what it's like to be black because you've never walked in their shoes. You can't even comprehend it. Well, then how much more so are we unable to comprehend what it's like to be a different species? You know, a dog's got millions and millions of olfactory receptors that we don't have. They literally see in different color. Their ears hear at different pitches. And, you know, so the idea of catch and release fishing, somebody who's born and raised fishing, a charter captain for a grandfather, a river guide for a grandfather, it, it, it's a little bizarre. And so I, I've, I've been on the fence about catch and release fishing because I feel like here I am with my fancy equipment. This fish is minding its own business and I'm yanking it out of the water. 
and I'm not saying I'm hurting the fish because I know the whole pain receptors thing, but still, I mean, tiring it out, like stressing it out, not healthy for it. So we got this tank on the boat, this absolute freak, and it's just sitting there, right? Like it's not in the water, and I'm just starting to get a little, little concerned. And so we take the pictures, and he's like, what are we going to do? Are you going to keep that fish? I said, well, I'll keep it if we're going to eat it, but otherwise I want to put it back. He's like, well, we got to get a weight on it. And then he's scrambling around for his scale. I'm like, man, I, I don't want this fish to die. I don't want it to die. So like, put it in the live well. Find the live well. It's a brand new boat. We don't know where anything is. So I start lifting up different drawers on the floor of the boat, lift up the one. And sure enough, there's some water in there, but like four inches, like not enough. So I throw, I get the fish in there. And it's sure enough, it's not even covered up. So I'm swishing the fish back and forth. It's barely moving. It's very lethargic. And it was a little lethargic bringing it in too because uh, the metabolisms are so low down in the south when the temperatures really drop. These fish aren't very active. And I'm like, man, I don't know what we're going to do. You know, this, I, I feel like we ought to put this fish back. He's like, well, I got this scale. I got this scale. We got to get a weight on it because that's how you know for sure if it's a, a real tank or not. And sure enough, the batteries in the scale are dead. He can't get it to turn on, can't get it to turn on. And I'm just like, man, I, I can't, we can't do this anymore. So I, I take the fish and uh, I, I, he's like, no, no, it's on, it's on. And he, he clips the lower jaw because with a bass, for those of you who don't know, with bass, if you grab them by the lower lip and you let their body hang down, you put your thumb in their mouth and you let their body hang down so your thumb's pointed to the sky, your knuckles are pointed straight forward away from your chest, and the bass is dangling down, it can't flop and slap around and jump right out of your hands. It's one of the only fish species you can do that with. Other fish, if you try to hold on to them, they're flipping and flopping, and uh, you know it's like hanging on to a greased pig, right? And so he clips it on. He's like, what does it say? And I say, it doesn't say anything now. This, the screen is completely blank. And so I take the fish away from him, put it in the water, you know, running it back and forth, trying to get water passed over its gills. Finally, it starts to revive, starts to come back. And then, you know, the tail slaps and it swims away. So it was really, really cool. It was a wild rodeo. I wish that, and then, of course, we eventually, and we're trying to figure out how the live well works too, right? We can't get any water to get in there um, while the fish is in there. And so that's why I pull it out and I say, listen, you know, we're done. And so finally, now that we're calmed down, he finds the right switch and the water starts pouring into the live well. And so, of course, if it had been full of water, I would have felt a lot more comfortable to leave the fish in there while we decided what to do. But anyway, my takeaway from that was, man, God did not give me, he did not give me something I wasn't ready for. You know, I had a bad attitude about the lures. And all of a sudden, I, I, you know, I, I calmed down, felt better. I had a bad attitude about not catching any fish. And then all of a sudden, I had a heart of gratitude. And it wasn't until I had that heart of gratitude when God decided to, to truly bless me. And I just thought that was very interesting. I mean, I, of course, you know, coincidences happen, and the devil's also at work in the world, so it's not like every time you're grateful you're going to get what you want. But it was it was very interesting, and I, it, it, I feel like it taught me something. It was, a good, it was a good lesson for me. I don't have any Wi-Fi, but... I do want to give you an excerpt from a book that I read. I, I was trolling through my phone looking for some, some quality quotes. And this is an excerpt from The Way of Kings, which is a high fantasy novel by Brendan Sanderson. Quote, The question, she replied, is not whether you will love, hurt, dream, and die. It is what you will love, 
why you will hurt, when you will dream, and how you will die. That is your choice. You cannot pick the destination, only the path. In our scripture verse of the day, I, I happen to finally read the Bible this morning, and the, the passages in Mark are about Jesus' betrayal at this point, so it's more of a story. So I, I, I flipped through, the, I just randomly flipped through the Bible, and literally, guys, the first page I open up to, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. First page I turn to, find this quote. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Man, talk about some heady stuff. Really appreciate you guys sticking with me. Remember to send me your stories, good, bad, ugly, and different. Man, we are all in this together and you are not alone. Remember to find satisfaction in the struggle and peace in the moment. We'll see you next time.